You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network. As we bring you another Nip Tuck episode, closing out the third season, at least on the episode recap front. As we move on to the finale, Quentin Costa, first aired December 20, 2005, the same night as we mentioned last week that Cherry Peck did. This one, as pretty much every single season finale, is written by Mr. Ryan Murphy, the creator of the show, and also directed by Ryan Murphy. Something that I think uh, we need to pay note of a little bit, the fact that uh, he's pretty much involved in each of the season finales, with the exception of one. But uh, we might mention that at one point. Uh, but lots to talk about. It's it's a interesting episode. There's plenty to discuss. I love this episode. I think it's a great episode. But uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of discussion points around uh, things that we could have uh, considered throughout this season when it comes to the carver and everything else in between. My name is Ben. And how manly did you feel when I was owning your tight, white ass, pretty boy? And I'm Nick, and so if I told you I was born without a penis, that would have made everything okay, right? <laughs> that was the other one I was going to use. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some golden one-liners in this. Uh, I noticed that they're all coming from Quinton recently. <laughs> Quinton's the king of one-liners. Yeah, he, he's, he's delivering. He definitely is. Um, interesting to note, just, just on that quick point about Ryan Murphy, that uh, he's pretty much written every, he writes every single season finale... Uh, with the exception of season five. And again, technically, sort of, you might argue, there are kind of two finales in season five, with the mid-season finale and the finale finale, but he doesn't actually write either of them. Probably speaks reasons why. Those are pretty shit. Uh, so, anyway, we're not season five, it's season three. I like this episode, Nick. I talked a lot about this last week. I've teased them this one, I think, at the end of last season, the beginning of this season. Uh, to me, this is maybe the second best season finale out of all of these uh, season finales, but... Yeah, I feel like there's lots to unwrap and really get to the nitty-gritty with this one because we find out who the carver is, we get a lot of sort of clues that we've had across this season pointed out to us, and uh, yeah, this is this is definitely an episode that I feel you, you definitely don't forget when it comes to Nip Tuck. Well, I think, it, yeah, I mean, this was... And it, it's hard... It, yeah, it's easy to forget, actually, that this was like event TV at the time, wasn't it? This mm. was like, you know... Not to the same degree, but this is kind of like you know, Survivor, the Australian Outback. You know, it's that kind of thing where everybody kind of well, it felt like a lot of people were watching this because it, it, there was a lot of build up to it, and it was like we're finally going to get the reveal of who the carver is. And, and so, I mean, I, I assume, and uh, you know, I could have done my homework, but that this is the most watched episode of of Nip Tuck of all time. Um, it, would, it would have to be surely, because um, this is you know that this is kind of the peak of the show's um, kind of. Um, in terms of it being a bit of a pop culture thing, this is probably the highest it ever gets, I would think. Yeah, and I think we did go over this. I'm just trying to find those numbers again. Um, because well, while you do that, I'll, I'll kind of make my point that yeah, I yeah, go, go for it. I'm so just going to back that fact so up. Think, yeah, yeah, but because I, I I do think that you know whether you love or hate this episode and and what you think in terms of it being entertaining, I think it's a it, it's the most critical episode of Nip Tuck because. It's bringing this really long storyline to a close, and um, you know it, it is really important that you you kind of you don't have to agree with the direction that they take it in the end, but it needs to make sense. It needs to feel like it, it's well told the end of the story, um, and you know so I think there's a lot riding on getting this one right, um, and you know it'd be really interesting to kind of uh, you know Ben if you remember where you were and you kind of watched this episode because. Um, I kind of remember watching this, and you know, I had a friend that I watched the, the, the Nip Tuck with at the time, and this was kind of event TV for us. We couldn't wait to kind of find this out and sit down and watch this whole thing. And um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember kind of what I thought about who it would be um, as we got into this final stretch. And I, I don't think I had a real clear, you know, contender. I mean, coming back to it now, it's obvious to me who it is as we kind of come into this. If I had been watching this now, I think knowing a little bit more about how TV's made now in my 30s than I did in my early 20s, um, I, I probably could have seen this coming a mile away. So it's kind of interesting to see other people who watch this in the moment, what they kind of thought about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I might have touched on this before, but um, season three was kind of the first season that I watched uh, that wasn't having to wait for it to air on TV. I actually, from season three onwards, I downloaded this show basically the day after the US. Um, so yeah, I, I downloaded this and was like, fuck, I need to watch this. I need to watch this. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 
I watched it by myself as I did because I had no friends. Um, still don't, but uh, yeah, like I just kind of you know remember downloading and watching it and kind of just really wanting to get to it. So that was kind of I guess where I was. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely remember watching this episode for the first time and be like, oh, you know, okay. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I went over this one in another episode. Um, but yeah, so this episode, you're right. Um, the most watched episode of Nip Tuck in history, 5.7 million viewers, which eclipsed the, uh, premiere of this season, which had 5.3 million. Um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of guessing this might be outdated, at least by the Wikipedia stats, but according to Wikipedia, and again, there's no sort of evidence with this. And given that, you know, this show is now, well, this episode is now 12, 13 years old, uh, I'm sure it's been eclipsed, but, um, at least at the time, uh, it was the most watched scripted program in the like, episode in the history of the FX network. Um, so look again. I'm sure that's been eclipsed because FX is obviously uh, is Walking Dead FX. No, that's not FX, is it? Um, no, that's AMC. But they had uh, some other big hits. I'm thinking Damages was on FX. Um, yeah, they've had some other ones. I'm trying to think, but. Uh, so, I'm sure that's been broken, but at least, you know, that's kind of the level of, uh, you know, viewership this had. And yeah, you're right. I mean, we've kind of always touched on that. Season three was sort of peak nip tuck in terms of the, the absolute attention, the viewership. Uh, and I know it's known amongst some nip tuck fans that season four is kind of, you know, often regarded as the season that kind of really turned viewers away. And that's why season four is not often regarded as a very good season. Um, and that's kind of a lot of reason why they sort of say it led to season five, sort of refreshing the show by moving it to LA. Um, but again, I'll have lots of arguments for next season why I think next season works better than this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely events, event television and you're right. I mean, it's kind of, it's just in terms of like where this was. And I, I feel this is kind of like, you know, sort of more comparisons like Survivor. You know, if you find people nowadays who, you still say, oh, I watched Survivor. Oh, that show's still on. Oh, I remember when Richard won. Oh, I remember, you know, the Outback when the guy fell on the fire. Like, they're going to remember, like, the most sort of talked about moments from those early days and haven't really kept up with it. And I feel like Nip Tuck's one of those shows where it's like, oh, I watched that at the beginning and I remember that murderer guy with the mask on. Like, that's generally what people will say when you bring up Nip Tuck. Um, that or maybe the paper bag. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, look, there's there's lots to get to in this one. I mean, kind of, we always sort of said in this episode, we'll go over some few things with the carver and everything, and obviously we end on the, the big plot twist uh, from Jerry Peck about Quentin doesn't have a penis, um, which is it's unique, because what I love about this twist is that, again, and to kind of really make note of this, that this is airing on the same night, is the fact that within the space of us having this twist, basically being like, well, clearly Quentin's not in the carver then, because he doesn't have a dick. Okay, he's out of the question. Don't even need to think about him. Within five minutes, we're back to, oh, fuck, maybe he is. Because we're in this uh, sorority house where, what, like nine girls have been raped and attacked. And straight away, we find out that whoever was raping them had a strap on. So it's basically from the space of, oh, Quinton's definitely not the carver too. Well, Quinton clearly is the carver. So it's kind of like a roller coaster, up, down, up, down. You think, all right, here we go. But then it's straight away quashed again because they get all the cops heading off to Quinton's house, uh, the SWAT team, you know, finally doing their job, I guess, in Miami. Someone's killed a, a gerbil here. And uh, who's on the bed? Dear old Quinton's tied up. He's been carved and we've got the blood above him. I can't stop. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that how this is all playing out given this all aired on the same night. I, I kind of feel as great as it is that this aired on the one night, you kind of get this sort of two-parter. I almost feel like the tension just of, like, this whole reveal of him not having a penis and waiting a whole week to get the reveal would have maybe, like, talked it up a little bit more because then you would have had people all week saying, well, it's not Quentin, then who is it? Who is it then? If it's not Quentin, who is it? Um, You know, kind of talked around a little bit more, particularly if it was in the age of really social media. And we know social media was around in 2005, but not to the extent it is now. But obviously, I should also mention, I kind of jilled over the fact that kind of right at the beginning of this episode, we kind of had that great little scene of... You know, uh, you know, Christian and, and Liz and Quentin and all these people kind of pulling the carver mask off. Like, who is the carver? Duh, duh, duh. So I just love the way this episode starts. I mean, right from the get go, we're right into it. You know, it's kind of like, it's just, you know, straight away, fasten those seatbelts. We're in for a bumpy ride here. Yeah. And I think it, it's interesting what you say about that in, in terms of if this had been, um, over two, not over two weeks, then, you know, that, that sudden reveal that, you know, the carver's using a strap on, you know, that, 
that wouldn't be such a big deal. But you're right, in, in terms of how it actually plays out on the show, this is all one night, and so, yeah, that tension is really cut. But, yeah, I love that kind of, because you don't need a previously on for this because it's just the second half of a double episode, is that you get that really cool moment where they're all pulling off the carver mask. And I think I think that just, it's a really cool visual to start on, and it kind of, it kind of just reminds you that yeah, we're getting to a point where we're actually going to find out who this person is by the end of this episode, and and you know that that you know one way or another, it's um, you know, it's a great thing because you know you are actually going to find find things out, and storylines are going to be resolved. So one way or another, that's that's got to be a good thing. We get this great scene, and kind of this explains a lot and fills in a lot of these gaps, doesn't it? When it comes to Quinton and sort of. I'm sure a lot of people maybe were thinking, like, the big reveal of him having a dick. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Like, you know, the scene, the the, the group sex scene, he's getting a blowjob, like, all these kind of little subtle scenes along the way. And this is kind of like lots of things that, you know, we've tried to, like, sort of mention along this season about how, like, yeah, we can't really go into too much about this, but just remember this for the finale because I just love this bit here where, obviously... Quinton's, you know, Sean and Christian don't want anything to do with him. They're going to refer him off to the esteemed Dr. Sachs. And kind of, Quinton's got a good point here. He's like, you know, um, you're not willing to take this risk. I flew in here from Atlanta to take a risk for you, like, straight away. Like, when both of you were carved. Uh, now that we've finally all got one thing in common, you know, like, and this is kind of like, you know, what's going on here. But we obviously kind of, you know, just get a few things about the drugs. Because, you know, this storyline that kind of came out of nowhere. It was a one-time thing. Um... You know, he he paid the, the college girl $100 to pretend. Like, I mean, she's that drunk. Did she really, like, oh, I better act here. Like, you know, she's vomited all over quitting there. And then, obviously, you know, he grabbed Christian's ass purely for the fact because he didn't want it to keep going. Um, so, you know, that's kind of that sort of throughout that uh, the, the group sex scene that we had earlier in this. Um, and then kind of, you know, it's kind of where it always goes back to the point where Quentin just says, I admire you. I wanted to be part of the boys. And kind of like, that goes back to the very kind of first episode that Quentin's in, doesn't it? Like where he's basically like, yeah, I admire you guys. I admire your work. So like, it's kind of just like, you know, this is the part where Sean and Christian got to feel a bit of a dick for being so like sort of a bit of an asshole to this guy. Um, and then obviously he sort of gets up, walks out and then, you know, they're like, oh, hang on a minute, you know, how's Thursday for you? Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know, I just love this scene. I mean, just kind of just it's, just, it's a great way to fill in a lot of these sort of gaps that people are maybe thinking along the way. Like, well, that doesn't make sense if he doesn't have a dick. But, like, you know, they're obviously making these scenes make sense. And clearly, this also, should we point out, one thing that's kind of not really referenced is obviously, you know, a couple of episodes ago when we find out that him and Julie haven't had sex. Well, clearly, that also goes back to a few episodes ago when Julie's like, we've been together for a month and you haven't tried to sleep with me. Well, you know, slight little reveals along the way here, folks. It kind of makes sense now once you find out this bit of information about the guy. Well, I think it's weird as well as that, you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, did Julia not notice that he, you know, like even even when he's wearing underwear or, <laughs> or whatever he's wearing when they get in the, the hot tub, that he doesn't look quite normal, you know, like you... You think you would kind of Kendall. notice that there's something kind of messy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if she's not looking too closely, I guess, but you, you would assume she would expect to kind of, you know, feel it or whatever, you know. And you know, it, it, it's just it, it's not a big deal. And I think they do a good job of kind of closing off some of the loopholes here um, and explaining some of the stuff. But yeah, it, it it does start to stretch credibility to me a little bit. And you know, we're only getting to the start of it. We're going to get even more into that. But yeah, I, I think this is quite an interesting kind of scene where these two guys are kind of interrogating him across the, um, you know, across the table. And, and yeah, I, I think it is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's like, as much as I love this episode, I think it's great. I mean, that's what I keep saying. Like, there are definitely holes to this plot and reveal and thing. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, Julia's with this guy for a month. And even if they're not going to fuck, like, you know, they're not going to do anything else. They're not, like, in bed with each other and kind of like... You're pressing against me, Quinton, but I can't feel anything. Like, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, you've got to think of a few things along the way here that, um, you know, don't make that much sense. But as I said, like, there, there are definitely um, some holes or some of the things that go along here. I just don't feel this is, as much as I love this, and this is why I guess maybe I put this behind, you know, season two finale to me is, you know, arguably the best finale and might be, you know, a top ten, top five episode of Nip Tuck to me personally. Uh, but I just kind of feel the way they wrap up everything in season two is, you know, very tightly done and there's very few holes in the story. Whereas this time around, like, as much as I love it and I love the reveal and kind of everything that happens in this episode, yeah, if you're analysing it, there's definitely holes along the way. Um, but, so we get uh, kind of from there, we've got Matt's just randomly in the car with Ariel. 
Uh, you know, I'm so sorry, Matt. You know, please forgive me. And kind of Matt standing up for himself finally. Like, oh, you're irrational. And I don't don't want to sort of, you know, do this. And I just love how she's like, is it weird sex you want? I'm down for that. <laughs> God, I have many dreams about Britney Snow having that conversation with me. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, There's a bit of a, um, like a Star Wars cut scene, you know, like how... You know, in the in the prequels, it always just seems to like cut into the middle of a scene. Like they're just mm-hmm. they're already like sitting at a couch, or you know, like they're already like in position. Like it's not somebody walking into the you know into the frame or whatever. And it's kind of this weird cut scene straight into the car. That does seem a little bit strange to me. And I wonder if that's done deliberately, or this is just a more of a, an extended scene um, that kind of we see her like you know, oh come in the car. You know what I mean? Like it's edited deliberately that way or they've just cut it because you know they couldn't fit it in the episode but um yeah you're right and then obviously we kind of get uh ariel's dad's here and kind of gets in the car all evilly and like just slide over matt you know i did what you said daddy i got him here uh and then like let's drive off and again it's like sinister like you know kind of setting up what we're gonna have for um matt in this episode which i mean i I kind of get a feeling you're not a big fan of what happens here with matt coming forward i mean I, i like kind of the way this closes but uh yeah um, I, I guess for me, it just kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. Like it suddenly becomes, you know, he, he's been this kind of menacing presence, but suddenly he becomes like basically a murderer. Yeah, and you know, like I, I think that's just quite a big logic leap out of nowhere. Um, you know, like it, it just feels like for something that is quite a big part of a, of, of you know, a really big finale, and so many people watching that we spend a lot of time on this Matt thing that. I'm just not sure it really, well, I mean, we're going to talk about it, but it, to me, it just doesn't pay off. We actually don't even really get a, a resolution to that story. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what frustrates me about it. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. And we'll, as I said, when we get to that, like, there's it just definitely kind of gets swept under the rug. And it's kind of, it's not like, you know, we're going to get this sort of following up in next season because it legitimately is just forgotten about within the space of, like, two episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with kind of that. That just, that gives me the shits too. But I don't know. I just kind of like how this kind of leads to this point here for Matt. And it's sort of, I don't know. To me, this, this whole sort of storyline levels him out enough and puts enough scare into him that we can kind of at least get a bit of normal Matt before the next crazy thing happens to him, if you know what I mean. So, um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I just kind of think that like, it's a good way of kind of getting rid of angry, bitter, punching his dad, Matt to, you know, back to normal before shit happens again to him. So, uh, I think, like, this is the thing that Ryan Murphy, I swear, does every season. Okay, Matt's going to be shit here. Oh, but we'll get into a point by the end of the season where new shit can happen to him the next season. Um, so... Yeah, well, we, we definitely get into, into hashtag poor Matt by the end of those, oh, that's for sure. Hashtag poor Matt. It's sort of been so alluded to early on, but we're really going to get some hashtag poor Matt stuff coming up by the... You know, this season, next season. Oh, God. Anyway, so, uh, meanwhile, here's Julia and Sean, everyone's favourite couple that we're just so thrilled to be here again. And Sean's having lasagna, made it, you know, uh, great. And they're having a meal together for the first time in ages. And uh, Sean gives, gives a lovely little gift to Julia. He's paid off the last mortgage for a payment, put the deed in her name, and you can live back in the house. And great, good for you. Fantastic. How sweet. Um, I mean, like, these are rich plastic surgeons who make, what, like, 800000 a year? I mean, we heard throughout, kind of, some of these episodes how much they make. And, like, sure, even if that house is, like, I don't know, $2 million, do we really expect that Sean's just paying, like, I don't know, twenty grand a month on mortgage? Like, why doesn't he just pay this off? Oh, my God. <laughs> Am I just really He's finding been... stuff to nitpick here, or...? <laughs> He's been waiting for this, this exact moment to, <laughs> to do it, right? I just don't believe that Sean does not own this house. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's kind of, you know, Julia wouldn't be comfortable here. Too many memories, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just kind of, eh, I mean, it's not as bad as some of the stuff we're going to get with Julia and Sean in the past few episodes, but it's a nice gesture from Sean. But again, like, it just kind of seems to be the Sean storyline this season. It's just like, eh, there's nothing groundbreaking from him really at this point. It's kind of, Anne H destroyed Sean's mojo this season, I feel. Well, I think probably what this is, is that, you know, we were complaining last episode a lot about it being, you know, we were kind of going back to stuff we'd seen in the first season and, you know, like it was a bit of a replay. And so I like at least we kind of, we're going in a new direction with it this time. So I've got to give it at least that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, We get quitting surgery. Uh, Here's little, I feel like we haven't seen Liz in ages. Here she is. You know, helping out in the surgery. She's back, sort of, again. Obviously, Delamere just slowly getting phased out of our nip-tuck world. But um, 
I wonder why Lizzie's so prominent uh, all of a sudden. Could it possibly be because yeah. she's now going to be the lead suspect when it comes to the carver? Um, look, I love Rona Meacher. I love Kit. She's a shit detective. Like, she just, like, accuses basically three people who all work at the same business. Uh, and then basically her only evidence is that Liz has strap-ons, she likes BDSM, and she's been to a sperm bank. <laughs> That's everybody when yeah. it comes to Liz Cruz and the evidence against her as the carver. Uh, <laughs> she's a terrible yeah, detective. <laughs> we're um we're grasping at straws here a little bit, I think. Look, I again, I'm going to keep saying this reiterate. I love this episode. I hate this part of this episode. It's just so random. Let's accuse Liz of being the carver. And then it kind of just is like, you know, swept under the rug all of a sudden. Like, let's include Liz somewhere in this episode. Oh, I know. Let's remind everyone that she's a lesbian and has strap-ons. Uh, so she could clearly be the carver. <laughs> you know, we've, we've written yes. Quinn out, so it has to be Liz, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, it's meant to be like it could be anybody, but, like, we know that it's not Liz. We know that it's not a woman because we've seen, you know, the profile of the carver and we know it's a man. Like, we've seen from the the images of it that it has to be a guy. It can't be a woman. Um so, yeah, I mean, to me, immediately, I'm just like, well, you know, like, just just write this off. It's of no use to anybody, you know? Yeah, and look, I, I will say I kind of like the idea. Like, I agree with you. Like, we know it's a man, but I like that sort of twist idea that it could be a woman. And obviously, the whole he used a strap-on thing adds to that. And that would have been, I mean, look, that would have been a huge twist if somehow, I'm not saying it's Liz, but, like, if it was a woman, like, that, I feel, was something that you wouldn't have seen coming out of, um, you know, anywhere but, um, yeah, I mean, like, one thing I will say, like, huge props to Ro- uh, Roma Murphy. She's amazing in this scene. For somebody who's just, you know, getting accused and just that bit where she's screaming, like, I didn't do anything, and just, like, the way she is. And, you know, we've kind of gone, you know, back into Granville trap cop scene mode. But I still, as much as I despise this scene, I just, you know, I've got to give props to Roma Murphy here of just with working with what she's got. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, um, you know, you've got to give her credit for, you know, um, digging in and, and, and giving us something that she probably wasn't expecting that she would be given in the finale of this whole thing. It, you know, it, it's um, it's good. I like it. And that's basically all we get with Liz. It's, that's it. See you, Liz. Thanks for your input in uh, yeah. the season three yeah. finale of Nip Tuck. Um, Julie is uh, back with uh, the beloved uh, Dr. Allenby um, and you know, nervous about the test results here from, you know, her uh, eel vagina baby. Um, so, you know, we'll see that. But uh, then we kind of get Matt, who, uh, you know, has clearly been uh, kidnapped here and tied up and he's getting lipstick put on him and um, Ariel here, uh, you know, putting it on and kind of, you know, what does he, he say? Like, you'd make a really pretty girl, Matt. Um, which, you know, it's kind of funny because we kind of said that, you know, he looks a bit like Michael Jackson in some of these episodes. Um, yeah. But kind of think, actually, it's kind of a good point. I, I feel that, like, you know, John Hensley ever wanted to play a character in drag, I think he would pull it off. Uh, I don't know what that's saying here, Nick, but uh, I feel like it, she's got a bit of a point here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got very fine features, I think. So, yeah, he does kind of do that. I think he's he's... He could do the Michael Jackson uh, biopic, that's for sure. No disrespect, John Hensley, should you listen to this. I'm just saying that, like, I feel that, you know, you, you could easily get away with playing a woman in a, in a, a movie or a TV <laughs> show. Um, but then we get uh, the dad comes down and he's kidnapped uh, Cherry as well. Um, and this basically is the end of Ariel. She just runs away at this point because she's all like, Dad, you said you weren't going to hurt them and... She runs up the stairs and gets told to leave. And, ladies and gentlemen, that was Brittany Snow. Uh, that was her time in Nimtuck. Never yeah. been seen again. Um, which I'm sure there had to be some form of deleted scene here. I just kind of feel this is a random way to kind of kick her out of the show. I don't know if you think that, but it's just it's weird. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's you do feel like there's probably was something else here. And I wonder if they wanted to kind of extend the storyline of these two characters and just for whatever reason decided when they were prepping for season four that oh, it just wasn't worth it. There wasn't enough there. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, and, and you've got to love, you know, the, the Confederate flag in the yes. background and, you know, just these kind of like, you know, <laughs> couldn't make it any more obvious who this guy is and what he's about. Yeah. The one thing I will say is like, I mean, I do like the fact he's got Cherry here and kind of, you know, what this is about to lead into because 
the one thing is like how this kind of plays out and you kind of focused on this and it's kind of, you know, you sort of had seen, I've seen like Liz is Carver. Oh no, Julia's getting results back. Oh, boo, Matt's poor and, you know, danger again and Cherry here as well. Um, and then we just kind of get this like subtle little scene. And this is what I love about the reveal of the Carver that like, you know, it's, it does, you know, you're going to get it, but just, it's kind of like, it's just so quick that the way it happens. Like, it's not kind of like, you know, they've all got guns on the carver. <gasps> Turn around and reveal yourself, if you know what I mean. Like, it just it just happens. And it's just, like, it's just beautifully done. I just love the way this happens. So, basically, um, I'm back in McNamara, Troy, and uh, we hear uh, Sean shows up. It's like, oh, your, your blood panel looks good, Dr. Costa. Kind of looks and, uh-oh, it's not Dr. Costa. Who is it? It's Gina. Because, remember Gina? She's randomly in this. I kind of... We'll get- so, that is Gina. That is Gina, yeah. So, that's Gina. We'll, we'll get to Gina in a minute, because she's randomly in this, and she's a Carver victim, so there she is. So, you're like, holy crap, what's going on? Only for then to see Sean get the needle in the neck, here's the Carver, and what happens? He takes off the mask, and ladies and gentlemen, ding, 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 who's the Carver? Quentin Costa! Oh, God, it feels so good to be able to admit that on a podcast. Whew, we've waited a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can actually talk about it. We can, we stop. We can stop saying things like, "Oh, remember this," because we're going to talk about it later. Yeah, <laughs> so that makes it really good. I've got one tiny little annoying nitpick about this scene, and that's um, when his mask is on, you can see like the corner of his face from mm. you know between the mask, and then it just like it just annoys me. It's like, oh, couldn't they have done another take where that was completely covered up? Um, it's just like a really random annoying little thing for me. Um, but yeah, anyway, it, it, you're right though. It is it is well played out. It's um. Yeah, it's a good scene. Um, and yeah, no, I, I do really um, like the reveal. Um, I, I really wish I could remember how I thought about it at the time. Um, because, yeah, as I was saying a little bit earlier now, like it's so obvious that, you know, when you kind of play it through and the minute you get that information about, you know, that, that those girls at the start had a strap on used on them, it, it's got to be Quentin and it. it because there's no, there's no one else that fits the profile, really. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, and and for me, I just I just want to give you a a, um, a visual um, because one of the problems I've got with Quentin having no penis and being the carver is that presumably he was running around you know Christian's house and and wherever else with like a strap on like on like unless he put that on after I, I don't know I, I'm assuming that he was running around with a strap on already on like ready to go which just seems like a really weird thing to be doing like running around with a strap on on um so yeah I mean that, that that is something that's always bothered me which look I think kind of this is a good point before we kind of get into things where we can maybe, maybe just go over a few things of quitting as a carver and things that you kind of couldn't notice and things like that because like yeah I am kind of in the same pages that I don't necessarily remember my thoughts on it um but, like, this is definitely something that if you go back and rewatch a lot of these things, it, yeah, absolutely makes sense. And kind of this goes back to my point about how, you know, the fact that if you had this big plot twist of Quentin doesn't have a penis and then you end it and you come back a week later when everybody around the water cooler, everybody in conversation has ruled out Quentin completely. Because, like, well, it's not Quentin. He doesn't have a dick. So there's no way that he can be the carver. Then, like, everybody's going to be just like, whatever. And this just makes it a bit of more of a shock. That he really is. I mean, again, it kind of is raised straight away with the whole strap-on thing. Because as soon as you hear that, I'm like, okay, Quentin is. Only to kind of get this bit of him being carved on the bed. And kind of, it's just, it's back and forth, back and forth. You know, oh, Liz is okay, no, it must be Quentin. It is. But, um, I mean, just a few things, like, that we should note. Like, Bruno Campos actually, like, in all the scenes you see the carver, uh, that is Bruno Campos. That is kind of being noted. That from the get-go, they knew he was going to be the carver. So I kind of think that that's very clever that it's, you know, as much as these shows obviously try and keep it a surprise from the cast, like they'll film two or three different versions and like only air the one that's true, um, you know, and kind of keep it from a secret from the, the cast members so they even don't know so they can play up to it. The fact that clearly from the get-go they knew this was going to be Bruno Campos's character and that like, yeah, you actually go back and when you're watching these scenes, like I don't know about you when you watch these now knowing that Quentin is a carver, but you can kind of tell because, you know, he's kind of a bit bulky, Quentin, you know, he's like got that sort of big upper body sort of areas, like a towering figure. So you can kind of see just from the, the, the figure and the profile that this is Bruno Campos. And even the voice is also Bruno Campos, like with the little, uh, you know, I'm the carver. Like, and you can also kind of notice when you know it is him, you can kind of, I don't know, pick up on certain things with him. So, I mean... Really kind of throughout this, like, it just, it comes down to a lot to the whole, um, you know, penis thing and all that sort of stuff. But my thing, I think, kind of, as you were saying about the strap, that's a very good point. 
Um, but like my thing is, it's like it's kind of never loosely sort of gelled on too much, even though we're going to get a bit more reveal when it comes to Quentin. And I guess it kind of makes sense in a way when it gets to sort of the extra plot twist that it will get. That again, the only reason why Christian is arrested is basically because they found a condom with his semen uh, at Ray Reynolds' house, right? So, you know, Quentin's been travelling around <laughs> with the condom of, you know, Christian jizz, uh, basically. I know that, like, I know there's a bit more of an explanation that's possible that we'll get to when we obviously get to the other reveal, but um, I don't know. That's that's kind of one thing that is never actually on camera explained, but, like, you can kind of make the logical steps of why, how that is possible, but... That's a little thing that I kind of always think about during those episodes, knowing how that could possibly be a thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's those kind of weird things that, you know, because I think you're right. They do a really good job of closing off a lot of the what, but what about, you know, they, they do a lot of, you know, explaining all those little things that you've been thinking about um, for a while. Um, but some of the bigger, more kind of practical things like that, you know, like those issues, um, it just makes it a really strange thing to do. And um, one of the things I want to talk about when we get to the end of this whole episode is would it have made more sense to reveal Quentin was the carver maybe halfway through the season to the audience, like not to Sean and Christian or anything, but so that we as the audience knew who it was. Um, you know, what, did we need to do this whole big reveal of, you know, who was it um, right at the end of the episode? You know, would there have been a better way of telling the story where – the audience knew it was Quentin and, you know, like you've got this whole thing of, you know, they're working alongside the carver and they just don't know it, but we know it. And I think that would have been an, um, a potentially more interesting way to tell the story. And I do wonder if they ever thought about that or if they, if they always considered it was going to be a mystery that they were going to lead to the, you know, to revealing at the end. Mm. It's a good point. I haven't really thought about it that way, but yeah, it's got pros and cons. I mean, I think if they did that halfway through, by no means do you get the highest ratings that they ever get for sure. Um, but yeah, it depends on how I guess you work around that. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few things that I kind of want to touch around, kind of what, even what I was just saying there with the whole condom storyline, which we can get to in a little bit more detail, I guess, when it comes to the second big plot twist of sort of this episode around Quinton. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, I, just quickly again, as I said, I love the, just the reveal how it's so sudden and just the music that kind of plays into it. And then, we, you know, we went over this last episode or whenever it was, uh, a couple of episodes ago, really, when it comes to the whole playing off two scenes all at once and... Just the music here. I just love uh, this. I uh, love that. So it's Santa Maria Gotten Project. This is such a nip tuck song. And from memory, I'm pretty sure we get this song used again in another episode. Um, but I hear this song. It's on my iTunes because I've got the nip tuck soundtrack and it just reminds me of this scene. Um, just a playing backwards and forth because, you know, Sean's been sort of, uh, you know, subdued. So is Christian. So he's quitting sort of his playoff evil villain, you know, Dr. Dr. Evil, Austin Powers sort of thing, you know, talking up and everything and sort of crossing between Ariel's father and, uh, you know, Matt and Cherry and kind of, you know, going to chop off one of their dicks, basically. Um, and then just, you know, I just kind of like the backwards and forwards. And clearly Quinton, like, again, Bruno Campos is amazing. Like, we talked over, like, last week how good was in that interrogation scene, but just something about crazy Bruno Campos Carver reveal, his back and forth, and just his one-liners here, and, you know, talking about being liberated and just, you know, popping Christian's cherry, and just like that bit when he's kind of, like, grabbing up to Christian, like, oh, why are you so mean, Christian? We made love! Just the way he's, like, stroking his face, and, like... Quentin would be an amazing Bond villain. Can I just randomly point that out? Bruno Campos for a Bond villain. Like, I Yeah, I can, I can see that. Definitely see that. Yeah, he's just, he's just so good. And then just like even that sort of reaction when like Quentin, uh, Christian's talking about Kimba. It's like, Kimba moved me. You know, just like the way he's kind of like going that. And then Raya offended me. Like, this is all great. Again, a lot of explanation when it comes to like him flying down. Uh, you know, thought he would just do the whole Naomi Gaines thing and then it would be forgotten about. But then, you know, because what better place in Miami? And But then clearly, you know, Christian and Sean just got in his way and kept fixing their work and, you know, back and forth, back and forth, just explaining a lot of these things, which is good. I mean, as much as there are holes in this storyline, I will definitely say, though, that they do a fantastic job in tying up the major, major ones that you're questioning. So, like, while we can pick apart a few things here and there, you know, 80% of this whole storyline, I think, is beautifully solved. 
Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you kind of have the same viewpoint about that amount of percentage of this being sort of solved, but there's just so many subtle little things that they mentioned, like the whole Ray Reynolds Reynolds thing. That's something that would have been easily overlooked about the fact that, you know, yeah, she got murdered. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, you know, and just like even thinking back to that, that episode when Quinton is kind of being so nice to her and in the surgery and just little things like that, that you just make, I definitely would say that out of all the seasons that go better on a rewatch, season three, as much as we have ripped shit into some of these episodes, don't watch Sal Perry again. But like, I just think that it makes a lot of, it makes it more of a, a different take on the season once you know Quinton's a carver. Just the little subtle scenes with him as being normal Quinton. So, um, yeah, well, I suppose it's a bit like, you know, rewatching a, a, you know, like the sixth sense or a movie like that, you know, where there's a big twist at the end where, you know, you, you do have to go back and watch it again and, and see the, where they've laid the clues out for you. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I think that there's definitely some, some, um, truth in that. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think for me, um, you know, it's, it, it's just a little bit frustrating, um, because I, I'm not sure that, I, I really buy into this all that much. I I, I, I just find, you know, look, I, I totally agree with you. I think all the technical aspects of it are good. I think Quentin's, you know, um, Bruno Campos is acting really well here. Um, I think, um, you know, the, the technicalities of ironing out all those little plot points is good. I think that they've, all, you know, they've checked all the boxes. Um, but I just think the the kind of, it's, it's a bit like a murder case where, you know, like it, you, you might have all the facts that tell you that, things are a certain way but you just know on the the reality of it and you know the practicalities of actually doing that in a certain way it, it just doesn't work and you know to me i just i, I just don't really buy the, the way they're laying this out it, you know like yeah i mean i just i just really struggle with quentin um because it just feels to me like it yeah it, it, it just doesn't work like the, the, i just wish they hadn't done the thing about him having no penis that, that's the thing i think that i struggle with because i think it's just it's just there to add some tension at the end of the episode um but it, it actually just doesn't really add very much to the storyline i think it just confuses things because it just it just makes you feel like oh, i don't know it just, it just leads you down a lot of rabbit holes that i i just don't think you really needed to to go down and i think they just I'm not sure that having that kind of plot twist was really worth it. Yeah, look, I can see your point, but again, this is why I love having you on the show, Nick, is that I, I can just disagree with that. I think kind of it, it, it ties it in better, like, to me, because it, like, gives Quentin motive uh, and then kind of just the way he is with it and just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of like the way they do it. And, like, yeah, I mean, again, there's definite elements of this that are kind of very far-fetched in regards to just, you know, this, that, and everything else. And thank God we have a terrible Miami PD that he kind of can get away with it for so bloody long. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like, I I don't know, I just... I just love the fact that it's just so random with his no penis storyline and then it's just kind of how that side of, like, will be tied into it at the end with more reveals and everything along those lines. And I don't know, there's just so many subtleties about what they do with Quentin in this season. It's maybe why I love this guy so much and this character just... Again, knowing it once he's the carver and we're watching little subtle things, just like random shit about the fact that he's bi. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, it's just random little things that kind of, you can, that makes sense. Because if he doesn't have a penis, how's he going to get gratification with any sort of thing when it comes to sex? So it kind of like, well, that makes sense. He needs to be a bottom and he needs to get fucked up the ass, basically. So, you know, just kind of like random little things like that along the way. And I don't know, there's just so many subtle elements to his character that just makes so much sense when you know he's the carver. And it's just like, I always watch this season now, and I always watch any time that he's in the show as he's the carver, and I always notice new things along the way with him that are kind of clues, and I just think that this is just the intelligence of Ryan Murphy, that he can just do things along the way. It's no different if you ever watch a re- rewatch a season of American Horror Story. Um, there's just so much along the way that he just, like, tightly packages it. And I just think this is a real credit to Ryan Murphy as a television writer. This is just what he does in all of his seasons, of all of his shows. And, yeah, he's not 100% perfect all the time. And you can definitely feel that when it comes to sort of the later seasons here, because, you know, he didn't have as much to do with season five and season six moving forward, uh, you know, as he does in these earlier seasons. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just I just definitely feel that you can just... This screams Ryan Murphy. And it's just just so good, and yeah, I. But I mean, like again, I love having you here, Nick, to kind of give a a differing viewpoint of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess I am. Um, 
uh, I just feel ultimately a little bit unsatisfied with kind of where we get to with this. And I think probably my issues are probably actually not with this episode. They're with the the twist from the earlier episode. Um, and I think I want to stress that you know, this is still um, an entertaining episode for me. Like I still think it's well acted. It's, um, you, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's well done. Um, yeah, but uh, but for me, yeah, I'm just a little bit frustrated with how we got to where we get to, and you know, I suppose we should probably talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that's kind of happening yeah. here, obviously, because we, you know, we get the thing where, sh- where Sean gets what his fingertip taken off. I guess is that the yeah, gets it it's a little off bit unclear. And, yeah, he gets it kind of like loosely chopped off, and I mean, look, I will say again, it's it's kind of as much as I love this season, all this everything, we're going to get to this towards the end, but there, there's a lot of things that will happen in this episode that are quickly forgotten about come season one, uh, episode one of season four. So the fact that Sean's finger sort of gets removed, don't think this is really going to be a huge storyline about, oh, will he be able to use his hand again? You know, a la the yip season two. Kind of whisked under the rug with what's about to happen to Matt and kind of Delamere and just, you know, it's it's kind of like they've literally gone to season four and gone like, okay, this storyline in bin it, bin it, bin it, bin it. Let's just move on. That never happened. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's definitely things we can allude to a lot more when it comes to season four. But, yeah, he gets the tip of his thing, but it's kind of the play off each other with the scenes and, like, the acting. Like, I'm glad you sort of pointed that out because I will say that, like, again, love sort of most of what Jolly Richardson's done up until this point, but I'm so glad Jolly Richardson's not, like, tied to a table right now because this is going to just destroy this scene. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, Julian McMahon, Dylan Walsh, Bruno Campos are fantastic in sort of this section. Then, obviously, like, John Hensley, just, wow, so good in this scene, kind of, when he comes down to the fact he's got to, like, chop either his own dick off or cherry pecks off. Uh, just kind of the back and forth there and just, you know, I, I just love kind of how it interchanges with each other and just the whole like, you know, wait, wait, you know, sort of things like that when they keep holding off and basically Christian's going to have to chop his own hand off when it comes to, you know, his side of things rather than doing it to Sean. Uh, and then also it comes to, you know, just like the fact that is this going to happen? Like clearly we're thinking this is one of those scenes where somebody's going to save them at the right point. And clearly for one of them, it is the case, but for the other, it's not poor old cherry. Well, I mean, maybe not poor old cherry, cherry, cause she says it's what she's always wanted. So in some weird way, it's almost like, you know, uh, our amputee guy a few episodes ago where it's kind of, yeah, it's a gruesome way of doing it, but I guess she kind of gets what she wants. Um, well, except for the fact that, you know, as far as I'm aware, it's not kind of just, it's not just chopped off. I think, you know, it's, it's obviously reconfigured. So, you know, I'm not sure she's going to quite get what she wants anyway. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough of these uh, about this kind of thing. But, I mean, we can probably just deal with the, with these two storylines a little bit separately. And, and, you know, we obviously get the Matt one where we, we get this awesome scene, you know, where after he's, you know, chopped her dick off, then, you know, we, we kind of go to this burial site where basically Matt's been forced into digging a grave and um mm. and, and and then we get this you know like basically Cherry kind of rises from behind him <laughs> like some kind of horror like it's a really cool shot you know like kind of this horror shot and um just you know takes him out with the um you know with the shovel and you know, basically then the two of them are standing over him with the gun and you know kind of cuts with with her kind of shooting him basically i mean that is that how you read it yeah that's that's it and this is like i'm glad that, yeah i think this is right we can just kind of get this over and done with compared to what we're going to get with the other stuff because that more ties into it but yeah absolutely it's, it's it's implied that she shoots him um and then kind of all we're really going to get from this point and this is spoiler in a way it's not really spoiler all we really get with these folks moving forward is we see matt come home later and then kind of next season, I think there's a bit of brooding Matt maybe for an episode or so, but then it's just kind of, he moves on. And I, I, I did read that there was a deleted scene where it is implied that he survives. Uh, so she doesn't... Well, yeah, and I mean, him, I, 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 but... yeah, I mean, I actually skipped forward to um, season four because I heard there was a cut scene on the DVD on the first episode. So I, I've just gone and watched that. And um, it, it tells you nothing, basically. It's Matt kind of working out in, in the garage of the house, you know, doing weights and basically saying, that, oh, Cherry came in for her final checkup and Matt basically going, well... I don't ever want to talk about her ever again. Which, you know, seems seems a bit of a strange thing, but there's no mention at all about what happens to him, um, to the father. That that kind of just doesn't really kind of come out at all. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of com- left completely unresolved, which yeah. is which is kind of weird. Which is which is like that is my issue with it for sure. I mean, again, I enjoy, I kind of like this sort of you know bit, but yeah, it's just 
again, kind of season four is almost like a reset button on so much of Nip Tuck in a lot of ways. Um, and that's why I kind of, yeah, this is swept under the rug. Sean's pinky's just forgotten about, you know, kind of just things like that. And, um, but I mean, one thing I will say for this whole scene here, again, just John Hensley, just the way he kind of handles this and he just, you know, shoves down, you know, and walks off and he's just like, you're going to kill me? Just kill me. You know, he just, he doesn't care. Just, I just love his acting in that scene. It's just amazing the way he kind of just handles that. And then, yeah, like the horror sort of movie reveal and then like bang and I don't know. There's just like, I, I remember watching this and like, wow, wow, epic. Like, what's this going to mean for Matt? And then kind of obviously being let down about the fact that, yeah, that's it. Thanks. He just got away. Just like he got away with, I guess, running over people and poor old uh, Henry's in jail. Um, <laughs> You know, it kind of comes down to that sort of level of thing there. But um, yeah, we don't see Cherry again. That's it for Cherry. Clearly, Matt doesn't want to see her anymore. So that's it. Um, but you know, that's, I get mass, that's Matt. He's reset it again, ready for uh, more shit to happen to him next season. Right. Mm, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. But, uh, obviously we kind of, you know, tying that in, but back to sort of, you know, when Christian's about to chop his own hand off, you know, dramatically slow, of course. And then all of a sudden we hear bang. And then here is old Quinton shot bang to the floor. Who saved the day? Oh, it's Kit. Here she is. Yay. Rona Mitra. She's done a Lara Croft and, uh, you know, saved. And um, she sort of comes in, you know, don't start the autopsy without me. We kind of get a nice little fade section of them, the crime scene and uh, sort of all that. I kind of like how that sort of, um, you know, goes there. But then we obviously get our sort of our, our explanation scene, do we not? You know, this is Kit sitting down and explaining everything in regards to why he was the carver. Uh, we obviously kind of get a bit of a story about how he was an orphan and, uh, you know, as he was deformed, he wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, he basically was trying to get picked up by, what are they, Maine, a, an adoption house or something in Maine, an orphanage. Uh, he had a sister who was seriously figured, you know, deformed and no one would, um, take them both. He would not leave her side. This made him become a plastic surgeon so that he could fix her face. But then she says that, oh, no, she died out on the table when he was 29 and um, sort of made him a little bit bitter. And uh, yeah, and then kind of this is why uh, came to, uh, you know, Miami. It's a sunshine state, you know, it fits all the requirements when it comes to, you know, his beauty, level of beauty and kind of He's bitter against the world of the level of beauty, and that's why he wants to obviously come and deform all these pretty people because he's, you know, bitter against everything that's happened with his sister and how that affected. I mean, I just kind of like the way they explain it. It's a nice little thing. It's it's very similar to the uh, explanation scene when it comes to Ava last season, and obviously we're going to get a little bit more of that here to come. But I guess kind of the reveal here, though, is, uh, you know, we see Gina. This is where we obviously know it was Gina because, you know, we have the impeccable timing uh, of, um, obviously, of Kit, and then we find out, you know, uh, that, G- like, uh, Kit, sorry, says that Gina called 911. That's how she arrived. So, uh, we see Gina. She's been carved. They're going to fix her. And we just randomly get Gina was going to come up and, you know, uh, come invite him to a, a party, to a New Year's party, something like that. Maybe a petty screw. Um, and I just kind of like Christian here, which is kind of like, you know, oh, there's no way I would want to screw you. Because I wouldn't want to ruin our friendship. So that's a nice little random Christian Gina scene that we've really lacked this season. Um, and then obviously, you know, they sort of thank Gina. Well, thank you for calling 911. You know, that saved our lives. And Gina's like, I didn't call 911. <gasps> uh oh, what's happened here? And then we kind of cut to the uh, morgue. And he's old quitting, laying there, opens his eyes. He's alive. What took you so long? Boom. Plot twist. Um, I love it. I don't know. It's just so, it's, the thing is about this episode that maybe I love so much as well, that like, it is so over the top. And again, I think now we can point out a few of these holes, but, um, I don't know. I just, I just love the, the elements. As I said, it screams Ryan Murphy, just over the top stuff that kind of, you know, it comes down to a lot of check your brain at the door slightly. I mean, there's still a lot that to me does make sense with all of this. And obviously, we're going to get to a reveal here at the orphanage that uh, this sister is actually alive, and the sister is Kit. Uh, so that's kind of going to explain a lot of things. So I guess we probably can talk a little bit here about um, sort of some stuff to do with Kit and Quinton. And I'll just throw in here, just kind of to lump it all together. We cut to um, Spain, uh, Kit and Quinton are sitting around a pool in Spain. Kit's got an American accent now. I mean, she actually pulls it off quite well, Rona Meacher, the American accent. Um, and 
kind of we get then sort of brooding over this uh, fake looking Spanish woman and uh, oh should we do a little bit of work you know and then we kind of get a weird sort of like sexual chemistry scene because again remember these two are brother and sister but it doesn't stop them from making out and doing shit in this season it's nip tuck it's incest why not um, and the thing that I will say I love probably the most about this whole thing is that this is left open-ended. Like, Quinton and the Carver are still technically at large now, but nobody knows. And also the fact that, spoiler alert, this never comes back. And I'm, in a way, I'm glad it doesn't. This is so easily accessible again that they could have brought this back later on. That, oh, the Carver's back, Quinton's back, because he's never dead. But I kind of like the fact that they just leave this so open-ended for interpretation of the viewer. Like, what would happen next? And is he just going to go around Europe carving people? So... I kind of like the fact that this is never revisited again in Nip Tuck, and I just love the way this sort of ends with it so open-ended, and they kind of get away with it. Uh, yeah, I hate all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I think for me, just like, it's worth remembering that this guy is a murderer. Like, he, you know, he's actually murdered and raped people, and I think that this story deserved to be closed off by him being brought to justice. I think leaving it open where, you know, he's potentially, you know, still able to kind of go out and do what he's doing. I just, that just infuriates me because I think that there's too much being invested in the story to just kind of still leave it unresolved. I think you needed a clean resolution to the story and you just don't get it. I think it, it just annoys me so much. And I think just on top of that as well is that suddenly these guys find this out out um you know that quentin's body goes missing um she goes missing and kind of this is never really like if this was if this was real life and these guys would be you know interpol they wouldn't be able to go anywhere without being you know somebody would be able to find them um they don't change their appearance you know they don't appear to change names or anything like that they're just like hanging out at a pool and somewhere in spain it's like you know i, I just don't believe that, that that you know and like you say it is meant to be over the top so I, I i do get that i'm not i'm not desperate for you know this hugely grounded story where everything is um, believable and there's no such thing as you know any kind of um you know over-the-top outlandishness. That, that's not what I'm looking for at all, but it, it needs to feel like I, I can get on board with this ending, even if I don't totally agree with it. And I, I guess I just can't get on board with this. Like, to me, this is... If, if I didn't feel quite strongly that, that um, season four is actually quite good, this this is this is bordering on Jump the Shark for me, hmm. um, which, which I find really hard because I, I've really enjoyed this Carver storyline. It just it just doesn't pay off how I wanted it to, and maybe that's just me. You know, maybe it's just I was looking for something and I just didn't quite get it. Um, but yeah, I think it is. It just doesn't really pay off in the way I was hoping it would. And I, like again, I, I think it's a case of I can definitely see all your points, and I can definitely see why people would just be negative against this. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you kind of feel that like. They've tried to go for a bit of Ava 2.0 in the big reveals and the big backstories and all this sort of stuff. Um, and for sure, Ava's works better. And again, there's, there's very few little loose ends and plot holes with the Ava storyline to me. But then, like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of things here that we can pick at. Like, it's kind of like, how the fuck did Kit get away from, be, you know, being a cop for this long and kind of like, you know, be the lead investigator on the Carver thing and not have anybody question how a Neptune's at a job? because she's just letting a brother-slash-incestuous boyfriend get away with everything, basically, all the time. Um, you know, I mean, there's definitely holes when it comes to that, and I agree with you. How the hell do they get out of the country? How does Kid explain, oh, the body's gone missing, but I'm just going back to merry old London? And then even in the case, does she just rock up to London, go to, you know, Scotland Yard, and be like, oh, I quit, thanks, bye, going to Spain? Um, and just kind of, like, things like that. And again, the Carver would have been, you know, a global story, no doubt, so, and kind of the reveal of him would have been, you know, caught the news. So, again, it's not like his face isn't known. Um, so, yeah, there's absolutely holes here. And that's, I've kind of said that from the get-go. There's massive holes when it comes to things. But even though with that on itself, like, just some subtle little things along the way, though, you kind of think about when it comes to 
um, you know, Kit and Quinton. Just, like, the whole situation when it sort of leads to them having this sort of, like, group sex scene with Kimba, that Quinton's there. It's kind of, to me, it's all been a ploy to kind of set Christian up. Like, this has whole, all been, like, a huge lead-in that both Kit and Quinton have done. I think that kind of, to me, is very intelligent, like, when you watch those earlier episodes. Then even kind of, like, you know, the whole section there with, like, the condom, which kind of makes a little bit sense, because, you know, I'm sure Kit can easily just, like, steal that and kind of use it in the cell forever kind of things, the things that she can sort of do in her, you know, shit detectiveness, um, just sort of, you know, along the way. And then even then to throw the, throw it off the case and kind of things like that by, oh, no, all right, let's kind of like change the direction a little bit. We'll make you a victim of the Carver here, Kit, and just kind of, you know, to really throw it off. And just, I don't know, just like subtle little things like that that I just kind of like the way they do, that kind of do make sense to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I completely agree. There's just random holes in this story. But I mean, I don't know. Do you do you agree? At least agree with the fact that you you like the fact they don't revisit because this is an easy thing for them to do a couple of seasons later. That's such you know arguably the most talked about storyline in Nip Tuck's history. Bring it back if you know what I mean. Yet we never get Quinton or the Carver or Kit or anyone return at any point in this show. Yeah, and I think it, going to your point, I think it's it's competently done. Like you know the, the kind of. Um, working through who the carver is and, and all that. I think it, yeah, it's competently done. Um, but you know, being competent and telling the story well and telling it with heart, um, where you kind of get on board with it, uh, are two different things, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the, I wonder how much temptation there was to revisit this at some point and whether or not they couldn't get Bruno Campos or whatever. And so they couldn't do it. But yeah, I mean, it would be really tempting when, you know, we know there's going to be lots of callbacks to, to characters we've had in the first few seasons. We're going to get them, even if it's just for one or two episodes, they are going to come back. So it is kind of surprising that they didn't, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm glad that they didn't. I think I think we've done it. We've, we've done to death, really, with the carver, so to speak, and um, I, I don't think we need anything more. So, yeah, I'm glad it was left as is. And one random thing I will say, too, kind of just going back to my Liz sort of bit where I just kind of, yeah, that scene, just like, I just... I. As much as I love Gina, and I'm glad we kind of get a fun little Gina scene with Christian, it's like, it's just random. Like, I get she's kind of the device that, you know, gets us to realise that Kit isn't, you know, who she is by, oh, I didn't call 911, but it's just, it's just randomly Gina. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's just there. Um, and yeah, it's just like, let's just cram everybody into this this final episode. Yeah, but like, and this is the last episode we will should mention that uh, Jesseline, uh, Jesseline Grieg is actually credited as, uh, Gilsig, sorry, is credited as the main cast member of Nip Tuck. From this point on, she just comes back sporadically um, right. as as a as a guest. And from memory, is she even appearing in season four? Well, it says here she does. Uh, I cannot remember too much. I know she's definitely in season five. Um, but, yeah, there must be a random bit in season four that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, she's no longer going to be credited as a main, and obviously, you know, Bruno Campos clearly leaves the cast uh, after this episode as well. So, um, yeah, from this point on, in our only main cast moving forward will be uh, Kimba Kelly Carlson, Liz, uh, Roman Mafia, uh, Matt, Julia, Christian, and Sean. So uh, we lose two off the uh, credits. Just a little thing I should mention there while I remember now. Um, but yeah, I mean, we kind of close out. This is the first time we've uh, had a Nip Tuck season not close with uh, your beloved little. Uh, dinner table scene where they kind of go around smiling at each other, passing food. Uh, we sort of get it, kind of. Um, it's just done differently, I guess. Matt comes home, you know, sulks in, and I could use a bit of boring right now, but, you know, the big reveal, the big happy ending is, of course, that uh, Julia's got the deed. She's put both their names on the house. I only want the house, only if you're in it. <gasps> they kiss, Sean cries, the end, season three, done. Uh, for such a great final episode. I, yeah, you know I'm not going to like this last scene. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of setting up season four. Even though, again, a lot of season four is kind of the reset button with so much of this. Even though then season five becomes more of a reset button when they move. So, um, it's... We'll talk about four in a little bit. We'll talk about that, obviously, in the next episode. But, yeah, anything to say unless this last little scene. Annie's there, so, I mean, yay! Uh, but... Yeah, yeah. Blink and you miss Annie. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. She goes to set the table. That's about it. Um, yeah, I think um, probably what yeah, I, I'd agree that I don't think this. I think the season's kind of overdone. Um, it's, it's trying to make us feel things that I'd rather they they just kind of make us feel a little bit more naturally. Um, but yeah, no. So we we get the whole moment. We're basically you know we led to believe that these two are back together, and you know we get the kiss and all that kind of thing. So you know it's kind of it, it's fully kind of back on um and we'll see where that goes in season four um but i think probably what this is signaling is 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 a reasonable amount of like we're going back to the kind of human element of the show and you know a lot of this carver stuff has really has taken us out and it's it's become like almost soap opera you know like it's become overblown and i think what this is telling us is that season four is probably going to be a wee bit more grounded um we're definitely going to get some some interesting stuff as well but i think we are getting back to a more grounded sense with with season four to a degree and and this is kind of signaling that i suppose four is very grounded and i think again we'll talk a little bit that's in our preview of it in the season three recap next week but um four is often regarded as just not like because people find it boring they think nothing happens in season four um, and I think they're confusing that with season six, um, which they also agree with that too. But um, yeah, I, look, four is, again, I'll say it, I think it's a much more complete, more rounded season than three. You know, we'll talk about the, the things of three next week and everything. And I've always said season three is just such a strange kind of up and down season. Um, but yeah, four, like kind of the big storyline of four, sort of the main sort of one with villains and shit in it. It's a lot more realistically grounded, I would say. Um, so yeah, but obviously we'll kind of talk a little bit about that next week more so as a complete package. And I guess in a moment we can talk slightly maybe about the premiere episode of season four, but, uh, just, I guess we close it out here, buy it, rent it, bin it as per usual. This is obviously for this episode. Um, I'm just going to jump in. I'm definitely buying this one. As I keep saying, I love this episode. Um, I just think it's so great. Uh, I might even argue this is a top 20 episode of Nip Tuck. Uh, in my opinion, um, but you know, obviously, I know that opinion is not going to be shared by a lot of people. But um, yeah, this is just a, definitely an episode that I could randomly just pick out and put in and just kind of enjoy all the time. So yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Quentin Costa, the episode and the character too. I love Quentin Costa, the character. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, this is definitely not the worst episode of of Nip Tuck, but it, it might be the most disappointing from my perspective. Um, and so kind of where does this leave me? Like, I'll be honest, I was kind of coming into this discussion and I was ready to bin this episode um, because I, I just feel so unsatisfying to me. Um, and, you know, there was so much on the line going back to what I said at the start of this episode about, you know, this this needed to be, it needed to be good and it needed to round out this this massive storyline. And I just don't feel it really does that. But I think, Ben, you've, you've talked me off the ledge and I'm going to oh, wow. leave it as a rent. Um, because I think you have, you've, you've convinced me that there's definitely some good stuff. And I think what you've just said there probably kind of captures it, that it is one you can kind of just put in and enjoy. And I think the overall entertainment value of this episode is still really high. Um, so even though I'm, I'm really unsatisfied with kind of how this thing ends, I think it's not to the point where I never want to watch this episode again. Um, and so I think that's kind of always been my gold standard of a bin that, you know, I just, I never, ever want to see that episode ever again. You know, once was enough to do this and then I, I just never need to watch that again. And, and this isn't one of those episodes. So uh, it's a rent for me. Um, I wish, you know, I so wish it would have been a buy and it, and it's not. And that's, that's really sad for me. Um, but I, I think probably just the, the overblown theatrics of it is, is probably not where I'm going to really enjoy Nip Tuck. And, you know, that, like I think one and two for the most part are really kind of, they're really kind of grounded, they're structured around these main characters. So I really like them. And this has gotten a little bit more silly for me. So I'm looking forward to taking a bit of a step back in season four. Um, and then I know that five and six are probably going to lead me further along the path of, of craziness and stuff I don't like. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. So for me, it's a rent. Um, you know, it was I considered it being a bin and wished it had been a buy. But so that kind of leaves me in the middle with a rent. Might be the very first time I've actually successfully swayed someone on this show. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, just, just a quick little note. I'll say that um, I thought this. I thought that might have made it the first time one of us has never bought a finale. But uh, no, you rented Escobar Galado back in season one. So there you go. Um, and I'd be interested to see. Like, maybe we can. A lot of things we can do when we get to season six and sort of end it all. Sort of little subtle rankings and like you know, like as I said, I think this is maybe the second best season finale out of all six of them. Um, but, you know, uh, I'd be interested to kind of see some opinions on that along the way. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's been a bumpy ride season three. We've been a lot. We'll talk a lot more about that next week, of course. Um, but like I will say, this is definitely not going to be the season with the most bins. Uh, hello, season six, uh, when you eventually come around. Um, <laughs> but um, just quickly, uh, I mean, you know, obviously we can kind of look ahead to season four. I mean, I, I guess kind of rather than just looking at four in general, because we'll kind of do that mainly next week on our recap, I, I guess kind of just briefly, and again, I don't know if you necessarily you've watched it yet or kind of have much memories on it, but episode one, Cindy Plum. I mean, I haven't watched it yet, in, I guess, at the time of sort of... Uh, um, recording this uh, sort of rewatch, I've obviously seen it plenty of times, but you know, I, I think it's just such a, it's an interesting premiere because you know we've got Christian and a very fun threesome. Uh, we've kind of got uh, Kathleen Turner making a star appearance. We've got Sean having phone sex. Um, I don't know. I just I just love the premiere of season four, and it's just. I just, I never get the hate for season four because season four is often regarded as maybe the second worst season. They often, people lump it down with season six um, and it depends on sort of, you know, five's kind of, you love it or you don't. It's kind of always a middle ground with five. Whereas, you know, three's often the middle season. People kind of put that behind one and two and yeah, four's just so overlooked. Um, I just, I don't know. I just got such a strong like of season four. I love what we're going to get with the Christian side of things when it comes to sort of, you know, uh, the Landows, um, and their kind of storyline moving forward, you know, Peter Dinklage. I mean, again, I'm sort of, I just said, we will talk more about season four in general next week, but yeah, the premiere episode, Cindy Plum. I, I really enjoy Cindy Plum. It's a great, great premiere. Yeah, and I think what I like about it is that it kind of sets up the season story arcs in the first episode, which um, is not something that the show generally does all that well. I mean, maybe season one, you could argue that the pilot does that, but um, I think two and three haven't necessarily done that all that much, Um, whereas we kind of get, you know, a whole bunch of new characters um, and we're basically just going to, you know, throw all these new characters at the wall. We're going to set up what, what's going to happen. Um, and, and I think that that's really good. We kind of start as we mean to continue with that, that first episode. So, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be fun to kind of get into in, into some of that stuff. I think we've got some cool new kind of regular characters for the season. Um, and, yeah, and I, and I think kind of like the personal drama that these guys go through in this next one is, is um I think it's more what I'm looking for on the season. So um, I, I think if you agree with me, then um, you, you're probably going to enjoy season four the most. And by the sounds of it, if they agree with you, they're going to enjoy it as well. So um, I, I hope we're not wrong about this. I definitely want our job to be season four. And again, I, I'll mention more about this next week. I keep saying that. But I definitely want our job to make season four more appreciated. Because I just, I don't know, there's just something about this season that I just have always liked. And who knows, we might get to the rankings and I might even put it ahead of like season one. I doubt I will, but I mean, there's just, I just, I don't know, I just love season four. So anyway, we'll get to that. That's uh, obviously coming in about two weeks because next week we've got our season three recap and we'll just go over everything else that we've kind of discussed over the last 15 or so weeks and just kind of summarize it all. And obviously the main part of that will be our season rankings and of course coming up with our top five moments for this season as well. In the meantime, uh, we hope you've enjoyed our coverage of this season as we get to one more episode. And remember to like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe on all the channels, of course. And uh, yeah, send us some questions and uh, everything else under the sun as well. But until next week, my name is Ben and stop being such a whiny bitch and drink your sangria. <laughs> and uh, I'm Nick, and I could use a little boring right now. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.